in, we decided to start about ten minutes early. Well, not everyone was here. And I think even those who were standing here ready were anticipating starting at our time, 2.30. And as a result, they may have felt a little bit discombobulated or not quite ready when the service started. And those who came in, and it felt like they were late, even though they were plenty on time, they felt they were late because we were already singing. They didn't know we were going to start early, and therefore they came in after the singing had already started. And I know they felt a little embarrassed and like, did I not set my watch? What time is it? What day? Are, you know, where, where am I? What's going on here? But I think there's an object lesson we might learn from this. What did Jesus Christ tell us? That he comes in an hour that we expect not. That we probably won't be quite ready. And if he comes a little earlier than what we were expecting... Are we going to be a little insecure, a little frustrated that perhaps we didn't quite get ready on time? And maybe it is that we ought to get ready ahead of time instead of waiting until the last minute. But you were a little uncomfortable. And you know what? I'm happy with that. Let's go back to Isaiah 40 to start with. Isaiah 40. And I want to pick it up here in verse 1. Because he says, Comfort you, comfort you, my people, says your God. Now God wants his people to be comforted. And we are in a time when the church, as we are very aware, has been being blown apart. The blowing apart is by no means satisfied. I do not believe that uh, it's suddenly going to be healed. I think from what I've seen in the scriptures and the ones that I've showed you and that you found yourselves, you can quite readily see that the church is going to be scattered far more than it is currently scattered. I do believe that we are in the period between Amos 4 and Amos 8 now. He talks about, in Amos 4, a partial scattering, a partial famine of the word, wherein he says that two or three will gather in one city, or they'll go from one city to another city to find food, <clears throat> speaking in a spiritual sense. And that can still be done. But when you get to Amos 8, the scene changes. And there it says that they will go from sea coast to sea coast seeking food and will not find it. It simply will not then be available. So now we can still go from one city to another and find it if we look hard enough. But there's a time coming when it will simply not be available. And what that tells me in addition is that organizations basically will disappear. And when the organizations disappear, the ministers will stop because they will not have salaries and you cannot find the truth. That is coming upon us. And he makes it very clear in Amos 8 that he's not speaking of a famine of bread, but of the word of God. He makes it very clear there he's not, that we're not spiritualizing something that's talking about a physical famine in the country, 
but he's talking specifically of the word of God which will not be available at that time reminds me of a phrase from my childhood make hay while the sun shines it could be raining tomorrow we need to be busy getting ready <clears throat> otherwise we may be very very uncomfortable when some of these things begin to happen in earnest and we are not ready and I will guarantee you most of the church is not going to be ready when these things come for warned is forearmed very very serious times are ahead of us there's another little saga going on in the nation itself as we speak today where a father died up in Idaho northern Idaho and you probably have seen it on the news some of it and the mother was poor the family was poor and she supposedly abused one of her children and now she is in custody and the children are holding out in the house I haven't heard anything today as to what it may have transpired there but the kids don't want to give up and apparently they've taken this ranch and sold it to someone else for taxes and I, I, I haven't seen much on this story but I heard the land was worth a half million bucks or so and they sold it for 50000 in taxes how safe are we? How long will it be before this begins to come on God's people? I think there's some keys, and we may get to that tomorrow in terms of timing and what is going to happen. I don't want to get into that at the moment. But he tells us here to comfort his people. Speak you comfortably to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned. For she has received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And the church <coughs> has been receiving chastening in a great measure. And that measure is going to be increased before it is over. But there's good news ahead. And I want to speak of you to you of comforting things to come for the first fruits. And that God is going to turn this whole thing around. We needn't be discouraged by what we see happening in the church because it's predicted, prophesied, written in dozens and hundreds of scriptures what would be happening right now. And I think most of you are pretty well aware of that by now. But it is still frustrating. And it is still confusing to some degree. And it becomes very, very hard for us to hang on and we see others who are not hanging on, who are turning loose. It's just like a shipwreck, and people get tired, they get weary, they get cold, they get numb. They get to where they, they simply lose the courage and the strength to hang on, and they drift off and drown. And that is what is happening in the church today. I do not want it to happen to you. And I want to use this sermon today to show us what it is that we need to do to ensure that this does not happen to us. And we're talking about a very real prospect of it happening to any one of us because it's happening to a thousand on our left and ten thousand on our right on a spiritual level, day in and day out. We are seeing more and more people just simply give up and float away. 
So this is not fantasy. This is not hypothetical. This is reality. It's the reality of what we see going on every day. More and more. And the end is not quite in sight yet. So, while I want to comfort you that God is going to deliver, at the same time, I don't want you to be comfortable. I fear greatly, young as we are, small as we are as a group together, that we can sit down and become comfortable in this organization just like we were comfortable in Worldwide, just like we were comfortable in United or Philadelphia or Global or Living or some other branch before we got here. So many, many people moved out of Worldwide and into another organization, got comfortable, and went right back to sleep. I do not intend to let you get comfortable here. It is not my goal, it is not my purpose to make you comfortable here. I want to make you uncomfortable here. I'm kind of glad we started the service a little early and made everybody feel a little uncomfortable. Didn't do it on purpose. I mean, for that reason. We did it to be sure everyone could get connected, and I, I really feared Nelson wouldn't shut up that he would give a long, long sermonette was what it really amounted to. He said he didn't like to talk before, but I knew better. I've been on the phone with him. <clears throat> and then he lets me down. You know, I, I start early just because I have this fear. And then, then he quits on time, and we have time left over. <clears throat> but please, do not get comfortable with our spiritual level. Do not get comfortable with the fact that we have some understanding in some areas that a lot of people are missing. That understanding brings with it a very, very grave responsibility to live up to the things that we're learning. Knowledge is dangerous. You've heard Herbert Armstrong say that a thousand times if he said it once. Knowledge is dangerous. If we do not act on that knowledge and use it to the right purposes, then that knowledge will condemn us. It's just that simple. God expects us to react to and act with what act upon what we have, whatever He gives. I feel very, very blessed that God has opened our eyes to see what is happening in the church, to see why it is happening so that we might properly respond, so that we might do our part to ensure that we are part of the latter temple that he is going to put back together. Now, I do not believe he would have given us this knowledge if he did not fully expect us to be a part of that latter temple. Why would God give it to us if he did not anticipate that we would be there? if we respond correctly. I think there's a great deal of encouragement that God has given us knowledge and understanding. But at the same time, let's be sure we respond to that and not sit back comfortably and say, well, we know what's going to happen now. Everything will be okay. Uh, I have no sin. And wipe our mouths and say we're fine. Because we're not. As I think I expressed in the letter recently, 
You may have problems, and I may have problems. Thankfully, you are not problems. By that, I meant you are easy to work with. You are uh, willing to learn, willing and, and hopeful. But that doesn't mean we don't still have our warts and our problems as human beings and as personalities that we have to continue to work on. I have worked with people with chips on their shoulders and with attitudes and various things of that nature that just made them very, very hard to work with. In the animal world, it's very easy to see. Sometimes you have a cow that likes to be milked. She likes the feed associated. She likes the relief that comes from being milked out. And there are the others that just simply resent the fact that you're there. And they kick at every opportunity. They'll butt you with their head if, you get, if they get a chance. And they just have an attitude about them. And I very rarely encounter that these days. And I am thankful <laughs> that you are a people who are seeking to obey God in every way that you can. And I don't think you're... Remember what they used to call the people trying to flee from Vietnam, the boat people? You're not calendar people. We've been called those calendar people by a lot of different groups. You know, I, I, I forget about the calendar from day to day, don't you? I'm, I'm not in this because of the calendar. I am in this because I want to be a son of God. I want to be like God. I want to change me to be like Him. And all those doctrines that we have believed in all these years are just as valid as they ever were. Now, others may identify us by saying they're those calendar people. But to me, that's just one more little thing that had to be straightened out. Just one more of many. Now let's go to Matthew 24 and review again the situation that we're living under today. Matthew 24. We see a deteriorating world. We see the, the five seals working toward fruition. You don't, you don't get much from this as to how close we are because it talks about nations rising against each other, kingdom against kingdom, Wars and rumors of wars, verses 6 and 7, and famines and pestilences and earthquakes in different places. And we've always had those things, haven't we? And we've been watching those things for, I have, for 50 years nearly. Watching the news. You know, here's an earthquake. Maybe this is the start. And then over here there's a pestilence and a famine. And it's hard for us to grasp as we sit here today that there are actually millions of people dying of pestilences and famines today on this earth, this very day. AIDS epidemics, uh, famines induced by war, where crops cannot be grown because of the fighting all through Africa, places in Asia. This world is deteriorating very rapidly. I think the key turning point has always been verse 9. Then, at some point, when these things get worse and worse, shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you. Who is you speaking of here? 
I, I, I think we should have a clue who you is by now, shouldn't we? That's us. That's God's church. He's talking to the disciples who were to begin the church and telling them at the end of the age. That's what they asked about. What about the end of the age? When will all these things come to pass? They thought they would see the end of the age. Christ didn't clue them in at this point, but that was what they were questioning. So it's happening to us who are their spiritual descendants. They will deliver us up to kill us. I think there have to be some fundamental changes in our nation before this can occur. We've had too many civil rights movements. We've had too many laws passed. Now, you'll see the Wacos, the Ruby Ridges, the situation that's happening in Idaho right at the moment. You'll see some of those things where the government has become tyrannical and abusive. But they haven't wholesale landed on Christians yet, and especially the true Christians of God. But that is coming. And something will change in our country, and I may get into that tomorrow, or if someone asks the right question tonight. And you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. The church is going to become front and center, and all peoples everywhere are going to hate us specifically. Not evangelicals, not Baptists and Methodists and Catholics, but us. Because Satan knows where the truth is. And he is going to be after those who have the truth. Now what I'm driving at begins in verse 10. And then shall many, many, not a few, many will be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. People in the church are going to hate one another. Now, we're already seeing division between groups. We're beginning to see people who turn from this group because they don't like what they're doing. Now, we are all part or from our mother worldwide, the scattered daughters now. But the daughters are beginning to fight among themselves and to not speak to one another and to look down upon each other and say, I'm prettier than you, I'm better than you, am I not fairer than so-and-so? Is not this a better group or an organization than that group over there or this group over here? And it's getting to where people from one group will hardly even speak to people of another group, maybe at weddings and funerals. But the divisions are getting greater, not smaller. The breaches, as the prophets term it. The cuts between. The divisions are getting stronger. The attitudes are hardening. The Philadelphians are against all the Laodiceans. And a Laodicean may be defined as anyone who is not part of your group. Sadly. I hope that particular aspect of this does not afflict this group because I've tried to make it very clear that we are also and have been Laodicean just as much as anyone else. We are not better than any other group. We are just human beings who also slumbered and slept. They all slumbered and slept. Not just everybody, but our group. Now, maybe I'm preaching to the choir here, but I don't want us 
to miss that and become self-righteous and think that we're better than anyone else because we're not. And what he's talking about here can afflict us just as easily as it can anyone else. And by the time I'm done today, I hope we can see the keys that are going to be needed to keep it from happening to us. I want some preventative medicine here, a stitch in time perhaps to save nine lives. I'm not sure us spiritual cats have nine lives. Uh, You know, you've survived a few pretty (laughs) rough things already. But, But what is it that's going to kill us? What is it that is going to stop us? Many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many, and because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. The one who hangs on never gives up. Now let's look at some keys here. The keys are that they'll be offended and betray one another. Why? Love will wax cold. Why? Because iniquity abounds. This is all bound up in the definition of love and the definition of sin. Iniquity is sin. There must be a lot of sin in the church because a lot of people are growing cold in their love for one another. And love has more to do than to do with than just emotion. It has to do with the law and breaking that law and iniquity. So hate is produced by sin and iniquity. Love is produced by keeping the laws of God. Now let's go back to the book of Habakkuk for a moment and review yet one more place where it talks about the conditions that we would face today. Now Habakkuk asked some questions, one of the foremost of which was, How long, O Lord? And I think that 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 is probably one of the questions that comes to our mind and our lips as much as any other question. How long, O Lord, until you turn this around? How long will this scattering last? How long will you chasten and paddle us? How long before you begin to bless us as you've promised to do? How long before you intervene in this situation in the world? We see Sodom and Gomorrah rising. We see baby murder continuing. We see all kinds of problems in this world. And it becomes sickening. Sickening to hear, sickening to read about, and sickening to witness at times because it does touch our lives here and there, all of it. So we're groaning and we're moaning for deliverance. And he said the church would be in this position to labor, to bring forth, to produce Christ in ourselves or him to be produced in us in such a way that the world can see Christ in us. That's what we're laboring to give birth to. All right, let's go to the end of the book here. And I want chapter 3. Um, verse 14 you did strike through with staves his staves ahead of his villages 
uh, well, in verse 13, you went forth for the salvation of your people. God is going to begin to intervene for his people at some point. Even for salvation with your anointed, you wounded the head out of the house of the wicked by discovering the foundation to the neck. So he's going to smack this world over the head so much that it makes their neck shake and tremble. You did strike through with his staves the head of his villages. They came out as a whirlwind to scatter me, uh, Habakkuk being here then a type of the church, which the world is going to seek to scatter, and Revelation 12 come out with an army against and try to destroy even as it escapes. The rejoicing was as to devour the poor secretly. You did walk through the sea with your horses, through the heap of great waters. When I heard, my belly trembled. My lips quivered at the voice. Rottenness entered into my bones, and I trembled in myself that I might rest in the day of trouble. Now, see, he wanted comfort. Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people. Habakkuk saw the prophecies of all these things coming to pass and God striking down his enemies. And he says, boy... I'm scared, and I want to rest in this day of trouble. And don't you and I? And God does tell us, doesn't he, that we should pray that we be accounted worthy to escape all these things because they're going to be a horror. And Habakkuk saw that. When he comes up to the people, he will invade them with his troops. And then he describes the situation in the church, verse 17. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vine... The labor of the olive shall fail, and the fields shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold. He, he puts together here a lot of the analogies that are used throughout the Bible to describe the church. Various analogies all come together here. And there shall be no herd in the stalls. In other words, the flocks, the shepherds, the organizations are going to be scattered. And whether it be the vine you use, the fig tree, the fields, or the flocks, there'll be no production. Nothing's going to be happening. And you would think some people would begin to wake up to this already, that all the efforts they're putting forth in broadcasts and magazines and booklets and all these things are not producing anything. Nothing's happening. This has been going on now for what? Since 1986, basically. More and more with different organizations breaking off and trying to finish the work for Herbert Armstrong. But there's nothing produced. Nothing's happening. No fields are being harvested. No people are being added to speak of. It's having no effect. So this is the exact and very apt expression of where we are today. And then what does he say? In this time, under these circumstances and these conditions within the church, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and he will make my feet like hind's feet or like deer who can climb up a mountain with, it seems, no effort. And he will make me to walk upon my high places to the chief singer on my stringed instruments. I will sing the glories of God, in other words. Now, that puts us about where we are right now, doesn't it? That this is a personal relationship with God, and as we shall see, a personal relationship with each other that has to be developed. Though everything is falling apart around us, and we were scattered apart, and it's very unusual for us to get together like this, only at a holy day or something, 
we can still rejoice because we know God is there and that He will fulfill every promise He has made to us, the church. It is simply a matter of His timing. And just as Habakkuk, we say, How long, O Lord, because we want it now. But he says there is a set appointed time over and over through the prophecies and that it will not delay, that it will hasten, that it will come quickly. It's just that I'm impatient and quickly is now for me. But then on the other hand, I probably will be like we were just before this service. We want it, but we're not quite ready. And when it comes, we may be a little unsettled because, hey, I'm not quite ready for this. Are you ready for people to knock on your door in the middle of the night? Are you ready for soldiers to start going through the streets of America and rounding people up and putting them in prison camps? Are you ready for that? Now, we talk about it. We know it's coming. But are we ready to face it? They put the apostles in prison. They beat Paul over and over again. You ready to go to jail for this? Some people are not any more willing to walk across the street for God. But we've got to be ready to go to jail. We've got to be ready to go to the gallows. And we have to be prepared not to hate one another and betray one another. I look over this room, and there are people out there on the telephone too. And I don't see anyone here that I would want to call the authorities up and say, uh, I'm calling from a payphone so you don't know where my phone is, but I know so-and-so is one of those people. And here's their address. I, as I look around, I can't, I can't see one of you I'd like to do that to. But people are going to do it to one another. I don't want it to be you, and I don't want it to be me. Now, how are we going to prevent this? How can we make sure that we remain faithful and strong? Let's go to the book of John. It hasn't been long since we went through this at Passover service time. But I want to go back here because it's so very real to the situation today. John 13. And let's begin here in uh, verse 34. John 13:34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And I don't know that we have to review the fact that Christ was willing to give his very life for you and for me as individuals. He loved the whole world and gave his Son for everyone. And now, especially, it applies to us because we are the ones that have been repentant and baptized and are part of the prospective first fruits of God. So it applies to us now. It will apply to other people later on. But that sacrifice applies to you and to me right now. Very much so. So, 
he says it's just the opposite. Instead of us betraying one another, we have to be willing to go completely to the other side and be willing to give our life for one another. Who here would you give up your physical life to save? See, that's the other question we need to ask. Not, will I betray so-and-so to the death? But for any one person here, would I actually give my physical life? Because we may be asked to do that. He did it for us. Should we be expected to do less? He's in our example whose steps we follow, right? By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. All men are going to be able to identify God's church before this is over with by how we relate to one another and how tight we are together, how bonded we are, and how strong we are as an organization. That is how men will know. Both out of the church, and I think it would include in the church. All men. When God begins to pull his remnant together, wherever they come from, and I would be hard-pressed to try to identify them all right now, but just as Elijah was told, look, Elijah, you're not the only one. I've got 7,000 out here who have not bowed their knee to Baal. And I'm sure that was quite a shock to Elijah because he was out there and thought he was all alone. So God is working with people all over the place that you don't know about and I don't know about and probably only he knows about. But he has given us the insight that there is a latter temple to be built. He's shown us in the scriptures that it has to be done. And I, as I said before, I don't think that he would have given us in, this information if he did not expect us to be there. I think we are very likely candidates for that temple if we follow through with what we have to do. Otherwise, we wouldn't have this information. It would be lost on us. We wouldn't see it in the scriptures. And you've probably talked to people, you got excited about some of these things as you read them, and you told them to people, and they said, get out of here. I don't want to hear that. That's stupid. That's crazy. I heard, well, I didn't hear, but somehow, some way, I got on one of these forums on email. A, some kind of an outfit, giving and caring or sharing and loving or or let's all hold hands and dance, or whatever it was. Um, and, and I couldn't get off there. And they kept sending these emails. And I really wasn't reading them, but as I'd open them to delete them, I picked up a few things. And there was a big argument going about who's a rebel bell and Joshua are. And there were all kinds of cockamamie ideas coming out on that thing. And then somebody concluded, well, Zerubbabel is Jesus Christ. It's only him. He's the one that builds the church. And I thought, these people are absolutely missing some of the clearest scriptures that are in the prophecies or in the Bible, for that matter. Why can't they see this? They're coming up with this theory, that theory, and they have nothing to do with the Scripture. 
it says so very clearly in Zechariah 4 verse what is it 7, 8, 9 wherever it is back there he, he makes a definitive question who are these two it says and then the angel answered and says don't you know who they are ask the question right back well no I don't know who they are then the angel says alright I'll tell you capital letters this is who they are and then he says these are the two sons of oil the anointed ones and there's only one place in the rest of the Bible that any such mention is made and that is in Revelation 11 it says these are the sons of oil oh so Zerubbabel and Joshua are the two witnesses what could be clearer what could be plainer then it isn't any great leap of knowledge to read what those two do in Haggai and Zion and see how the church has to be rebuilt but they don't believe a very subject to interpretation I mean a great point is made of it who are these well don't you understand who they are well, no, I don't understand who they are. Why did he waste that many verses going through this thing and making it very clear? This is a defining statement I'm about to make, see? But people don't see it. That's incredible to me. I, I, I don't know. It's like, if you will enter the light, keep the commandments. I mean, you know, he makes such defining statements in the Bible about something and people oh that can't mean that just because it said it in so many words without any opportunity for equivocation but I guess there's always a way around it if you really are determined to make one but this is defining about God's church here and about us where it says that men will know us by whether we love one another or not. And I see today a deteriorating situation in the church as a whole where people are loving each other less and less and iniquity is abounding here and there more and more as people give up this, give up that, give up something else. It is so very clear in the Bible we should tithe. Just one that comes to mind so very clear that we should bring an offering to God uh, we don't browbeat you and we're not going to have an offering tomorrow you can give your offering to Roy or to uh, Bill who's kind of the host here since we're in Knoxville or to me or to Nelson and we'll be sure that they get to the right place but that's between you and God see I, I, I'm, I'm not involved with money with you in that sense I don't care how much you give it means nothing to me. It's neither here nor there. That's between you and your Creator. He says, bring an offering to me. And Christ makes it very plain that where our treasure is, there will our heart be also. So there is an, there's a correlation between your offering to God and your relationship with God. Whether your heart is with Him or not. What is God after? Is He after our money? He's after our heart. He just says that our money is going to follow our heart. He knows human beings that well. So you see, 
it's not something you that I need to be concerned about. I am only concerned that you are taking care of your responsibility to God. That your relationship with Him is right. And that our relationships with each other are right in order for us to be what God wants us to be. But this is the acid test. It's whether we have that close bond with one another that is needed to withstand what is coming. Then he goes through and shows, chapter 14, verse 15, If you love me, keep my commandments. You say you love me, do you keep my commandments? Verse 21, He that has my commandments and keeps them, he it is that loves me. And he that loves me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. That's a guarantee. Then in chapter 15, he talks about how he's the vine, we're the branches. Did you ever notice that branches adhere very closely to the trunk of a a vine or of a tree? And that it takes a great deal of pressure from an axe or a saw or some awfully violent twisting of some kind to wrest a branch off a tree or a vine because it is very tightly attached very deeply bonded together by the very molecules themselves so he says that's the kind of relationship that we need to come to have with God so that we are so bound to him we cannot be ripped off the vine because Satan is trying to rip us all off right now and the world is trying to rip us off And a lot of people are being ripped because the bond is not tight enough. And then he says that if we give, if we bear fruit, he'll purge us or he'll trim us. He'll uh, work us over a bit so that we might bring forth more fruit. Verse 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. We covered that in principle. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. You want to be on a friendly basis with God, to be friends with God? Simply follow his instructions. And we can be his friends. But we're not his friends if we don't do that. So he says then, henceforth I call you not servants. He's he's offering us more than that. For the servant knows not what his Lord does, but I have called you friends for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known to you. I haven't held anything back from you. You've not chosen me. I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain that whatsoever you will ask of the Father in my name he may give it you. If we're doing the things we're supposed to do, we're going to start getting the gifts of his Spirit we're going to start getting the benefits of his healing and of all the benefits of God if we hang on and do the things we're supposed to be doing. These things I command you, that you love one another. If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. It's nothing new, not to be unexpected. If I were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you, despises you, doesn't want anything to do with you. If the world loves you, you don't look enough like God. 
you don't act enough like God because the world doesn't like God. They don't like God's ways. But He expects us to come to have the kind of bond with each other that we have with Him and that we're building with Him so that we cannot be shaken from one another. We will never betray one another, but we'll be willing to give our lives for one another. Let's go back to Ecclesiastes 4. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and verse 2 are better than one. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him that is alone when he falls. Anything. And had I ever fallen and broken my leg, I would have been in deep, deep trouble. It would have always been better had I had someone else with me. So if I fell and broke my leg, they could shoot me. So they could help me get out. But he's laying a principle out here for us. If they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falls. And we can speak in this about this in spiritual terms. <coughs> for he is not another to help him up. Again, if two lie together, then they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. What is a threefold cord? It's one where you have three strands of rope wound together. Makes it much stronger. I remember a story I read in a childhood book. I don't even remember the, what book it was now, but it was a story about this fellow over in the Orient who was supposedly a very, very wise man. You've got lots of wise men in the Orient for some reason, they say. But at any rate, he was a very wealthy man and therefore probably considered to be wise. And he had a whole bunch of sons. I don't remember from the story how many, but quite a few sons. And he was trying to decide who he would give the inheritance to. And some of his sons were doofuses, nerds, uh, you know, worthless, whatever. So he was trying to make a delineation. It's like Herbert Armstrong trying to decide which evangelist ought to take over for him. (laughs) Oh, man. He'd get a choice made, and then the guy would do something real dumb. So he'd "Ah, forget that, and then he'd talk about somebody else for a while, and then he'd do something stupid. So over the years, he was having trouble finding his successor. Same type of a story. So he finally came up with a plan, this man. He got this rope big, strong, heavy rope all braided together. And he said, Whichever ones of my sons can break this rope, I will give all that I own. So he called them in, and one at a time they took that rope and they tugged and they pulled and they jerked and they put it around something and pulled on it, and none of them could break the rope. Finally, the little fellow in the back came forward in his turn. So he looked at the rope a little bit, held it up, he took the end loose, and he started unraveling it. And when he got all those cords unraveled, he took one at a time and broke it in two until the whole rope was broken. Used his noggin a little bit, and he got the inheritance. End of story. 
cute story, probably didn't happen, but illustrates a point that a threefold or a threefold cord is not easily broken. In other words, if we are all alone trying just you and me, Lord, it's easier for Satan to break us. But if we are wound together, braided like a rope, that braiding together of many fibers and many strands makes a very strong rope that the strongest of men cannot break, or Satan cannot break. And that's the very point he's making here, is that we need one another, and we need to be bonded together that closely so that our lives are intertwined together. We're not in this alone. Now, I know this poses difficulties because we have various reasons and emotional hang-ups and all kinds of things that can come to our minds as to why we don't want to be wrapped together with so-and-so. <laughs> you keep thinking about that a little bit. It'll, it'll grow on you. It is not easy to blend our lives together. And I'll get here in a little bit about some of the objections and the obstacles and the impediments that we have to doing that. But first of all, I want to establish that this needs to be done. If we are to be a part of the temple of God, we have to be joined together. God is not going to have 144,000 temples. He is going to have 144,000 joined together as one bride, intertwined together, part and parcel with one another. So we have got to be bonded. Now let's go to Hebrews, uh, excuse me, Hebrews, Hosea, chapter 11. And we'll see this principle again in a prophetic statement about today. Hosea, chapter 11. And verse 1, Hosea 11, 1. When Israel was a child, then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. It was a young, tender child. There were three and a half million of them, but it was a very young nation in that sense. It had been built in Egypt, built in slavery, and God was extracting it from Egypt. As they called them, so they went from them. They sacrificed to Balaam and burned incense to graven images. They were in, his, in Egypt, just living Egyptian lives, basically. I taught Ephraim also to go, taking them by their arms, but they knew not that I healed them. They didn't know that God was moving behind the scenes to very powerfully destroy the Egyptian empire and extricate them from Egypt and save their lives. They didn't understand what was going on. Didn't know that he was the God who was going to heal them and in fact was already starting to work. I drew them with cords of a man, with bands of love, and I was to them as they that take off the yoke on their jaws, and I laid meat to them. When he got them out there, he gave them quail, he gave them manna, he gave them water. Not until they asked and griped in some cases, but he was going to provide. It's just that they didn't believe it. He was going to take care of them. But he tested them a little bit, see? And they tested him some. And if we're going to walk together here, let's know what we've got. 
Can I trust you? Can you trust me? Will you take care of me like you say you will? What new bride hasn't been a little bit nervous about it? Are you really going to do all these things you've been telling me for the last six months or a year? Or are you going to turn out to be a jerk? Do I want to marry you or not? You know, there, there are those little disquieting thoughts, or big disquieting thoughts that can come in any relationship. But notice how he did this. I drew them with cords of a man with bands of love. This, this would be sort of like working with uh, a young heifer or a young colt. Now, you can break them to lead by throwing a lasso around their neck, hooking them to the back of the pickup, and taking off across the field. And they will plant all four feet, and they will hold back because they're afraid of that rope that is sticking out in front of them. They're afraid of what you're doing, so they plant all four feet and hold back, like he described Ephraim as a uh, backsliding heifer. And I have seen animals literally choke themselves to the point of passing out, fighting a rope. But if you do that often enough and long enough, they eventually will learn that it stops hurting if they go ahead and move forward. Now you can break them that way. Hard on the animal, hard on you, and it's not a good way to go. Now, as a gentle cattleman or horseman, you can slowly acquaint them to the rope. You can rub it on them, you can let them sniff it, you can put it on their neck. You can gently tug on it over a period of time. You can get them acquainted with it. Uh, you can leave it loose and put something in your hand that they want and have them follow you and then put a little uh, pressure on it as they come. And they begin to learn that, hey, if I follow this, this rope isn't any problem. If I follow, I get some carrots or candy or whatever. I mean, there are peaceful ways of doing things is the point I'm trying to make. And God is willing to work peaceably with us. He is willing to put cords about us and to lead us, to gently lead, to teach us to follow His lead. So He gives us things to tell us to follow Him. That's what He says. I gave them meat. I was like the one that takes the yoke off their jaw. I'm not the one that's going to jerk on the rope and pull them out against their jaw and make them follow whether they want or not. That is not his methodology. He is willing to give us... Remember, when you first came in the church, you got a few answers, you got some healings, you got answers to prayers. Uh, God would give you things and, and, and say, Hey, come on, this, you know, this, this works. You lost your job. Oh, I'll give you another job after the feast. He did things for us to bring us along, to gently lead us to his way. So he says, I drew you with things that appeal to the heart of a man, that would, would make you want to come and follow me. And over a period of time, the rope got stronger, didn't it? The band that he was leading you with got stronger and stronger. The bonding between you and him and your little fledging relationship with him got stronger as time went on because you began to trust him more and more and you would follow his lead. 
And then we went in as, as a church into a period of time where we began to sort of pull back on that. And he also quit giving as many blessings and as many benefits over a period of time. And then people began to say, Ah, God doesn't care. But now we're relearning. We have to relearn. And God is giving us out of this book little gems of knowledge that would appeal to us that He says, I will take care of you. I will protect you. If you'll follow me, I'll heal you. I will make the blind uh, to see and the lame to walk. I'll take care of you. And we are beginning to respond to that, aren't we? See, he's, He's leading us. He's showing us more and more what He plans to do for His church. And I find it very exciting now that I know <coughs> I've seen the scattering. I've seen the chastening. I'm still seeing it daily. I'm still feeling it daily. But once I read in here that God told us ahead of time, I am going to do this to my church. I will take the hedge away from my vine. I will allow it to be trampled and scattered. Then over a period of time, I'm beginning to trust that, you know, this is all right here in this book. God said it would happen, and it's happening. And then I read these promises about how He's going to turn it around. And I say, well... He sure said it right when he said he was going to chasten us. I can sure believe he was right when he said he was going to scatter us. Therefore, can I be able to trust that when he says he's going to turn it around and bless us, he will also? I believe that. I know it's going to happen. And I want to be part of it. And I want you to be part of it. So he's pulling us. He's giving us the cords of love, the the things that we would respond to to lead us to Him. Now, he tells us in Isaiah 52 to shake off the yoke of Babylon. Not to be bound to it, (coughs) but to start reaching up and, and cutting, breaking, getting the cords off that chain us to Babylon. But to be building the bond that chains us to Him and that chains us together. Haggai 2, Haggai 2, verse 4, he says, <clears throat> Haggai 2, 4, Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, says the Eternal, and be strong, O Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and be strong, all you people of the land, says the Lord, and work. Now, what does that mean? <coughs> It means that we should be strong. But what does it mean by work? What is the work that we are to be doing? Well, the whole context here is building the temple of God. What is the temple of God? Paul made it very clear, ye are the temple of God. So we are to be building the temple. That's what we're to be working at. Zephaniah 3, verse 16, just above this. In that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, to the church, Fear you not, and to Zion, the church, let not your hands be slack. 
Don't sit around on your hands, but work. Isaiah 41. Isaiah 41. I want to be sure we understand what it is we're to be working at and how to go about it here before we're done. Isaiah 41. Keep silence before me, O islands, and let the people renew their strength. Let them come near. We're to get near to God, and we are to renew our strength. Then let them speak. Let us come near together to judgment. Who raised up the righteous man from the east? Someone's coming to be our leader. Um, Let's go on down. Verse 6, end of verse 6. Be of good courage. Good courage. Not fearing, not trembling, but of good courage. So, the carpenter encouraged the goldsmith, and he that smooths with the hammer, him that smote the anvil, saying, It is ready for the soldering, and he fastened it with nails, that it should not be moved. In other words, we're to be helping one another. We have different gifts, we have different abilities, but if we're going to get something built, we need to work together to be sure that the job gets done. So this work that is involved, that requires courage and lack of fear, involves working together. And that is what Haggai talks about. He tells the leaders and the people to work and not fear, be strong, and work together. And we have knowledge of what he is going to be doing. So, in one sense, we have a heads up, an opportunity to be doing this ahead of time before he even puts the whole temple together, we have an opportunity to be working on preparing the stones to fit together. Now, what keeps you and I from fitting together closely? It's our shapes. It's our sins and our carnality and our pride and our vanity and our fears. Those are the things that keep us from fitting closely together. If you're going to build a building, you want a tight building, don't you? Don't you want the stones laid closely together? Don't you want the pieces of wood to fit so that it's airtight and and looks nice and doesn't have great big holes that the eagles can fly through? If you're going to build a building, you want everything to fit together. But the problem with us rough stones or us rough pieces of lumber that fell out of the former, the latter, the former temple, as we're all different sizes and shapes, spiritually speaking here. And we have all kinds of psychoses and sins and problems and difficulties. And if you put us together, we don't always fit, do we? We kind of... You don't believe it? You know, two of you room together. Three of you room together here for a few days. See if everything just really fits you'll find that you, you, you all got warts. Not everything fits together just right. Well, that means we got some work to do. We're going to be fitly joined together. We'll get to that here in a minute. I don't want to get too far ahead of the story. Verse uh, 10. Fear you not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. Yes, I will uphold you with the right hand of my righteousness. Behold, all they that were incensed against you shall be ashamed and confounded. They shall be as nothing. And they that strive with you shall perish. 
And he tells us down here that he'll make us new sharp threshing instru- uh, a new sharp threshing instrument in verse 15, and we'll thresh the mountains, the governments. We covered this in the story about Elijah and so on in Malachi 4, but it's back here as well, and in, Mi- in Micah 4 it's talked about as well. We can't stand against this world and against Satan just by ourselves and on our own. We have to be a temple put together by God. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12. What time is it getting to be? 5 after 4. Okay. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. I don't want you to be in ignorance about this. I know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, even as you were led... Wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaks by the Spirit of God, calls Jesus accursed, that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord but by the Holy Spirit. We can't really understand who God is except through His Spirit. He has to open our mind. But there are diversities of gifts but the same Spirit. There are differences of administrations but the same Lord. We're going to have different situations occur and somehow we have to be able to overcome the differences that we feel. Maybe someone will not do things quite the way you would do them. I may not do them quite the way you as a personality would do them. But if it is, it is not an unrighteous thing, we have to learn to deal with these things. So that's what Paul is telling us here. There are different operations, but it is the same God which works all in all. The manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit therefrom or withal. And then he talks about the different gifts that are given to different people. But down in verse 18 is where I wanted to head with this. But now has God set the members, <coughs> excuse me, every one of them in the body as it has pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? Can we, can we do this, survive on our own? What if I were to bring a cleaver up here and whack my finger off and throw it over there? Would it survive? No. You think you can go off and leave God's people, forsake the assembling of ourselves together, and survive? I highly question that, based on what is said right here. Now, there is scattering going on because people can't get along, and there are sins, and there are warts, and there are misunderstandings. But somehow the love has to overcome the differences. Otherwise, it isn't really the love of God. It was a certain human affection that is gone as soon as differences arise. But now there are many members, yes, but yet, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. I seem pretty feeble to myself at times. And like, who am I? And I know that we probably all go through those emotions. Who am I that God would call me? Who am I that God would walk, work with me? I am the weak and the base. I have so much to overcome, so many faults, so many flaws, so many lacks, so many foibles. 
So many attitudes that need worked on and changed. So many thoughts that go through my head that aren't the right thoughts that have to be brought into captivity. We are so fallible, so weak, so small. But that's what God likes to work with. Fortunately for us, that's what He likes to work with. That's what He specifically reaches down and chooses is those which would seem feeble. But he says each and every one of us is necessary. It's important to grasp that and not to sit down and give up because we think, who am I? Nothing. None of us are. In the greater scheme of things, in that sense, we're very unimportant. We're just one of six billion. But we were weak enough and base enough that God chose to use us. See? That was part of the qualification process. Seem pretty feeble, but they're necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God has tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked. For the purpose of, or for the reason being, that there should be no schism, no division, no split in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. You see, that bond has to be built. We have to come to care deeply for one another. This is the kind of the love of God he's talking about when he says if you have this kind of love for one another, the whole world's going to know you're my people because you stand up for one another. You go to bat for one another. You help one another. You pray for one another so that we are bonded together like the strands of a rope, phone call by phone call, email by email, letter by letter, prayer by prayer, hug by hug, That's how we work. See? That's how we work at getting these stones to fit. Is we encourage one another. We What's the word I'm looking for that Paul used? Um, um, senior moment. Um, exhort one another is the word I was looking for. We correct. We chasten. We encourage. We help in whatever way we can to get the stone next to us to fit right so that they fit well with us and that this one over here fits well and that this one fits well so that we all fit closely together that's what we're working at that's how you build a building if I sit out to build a house I get my saw out and I get a measuring tape out and a pencil out and I measure each one of those boards and I cut them to fit against and right up to each other so they can be nailed securely in place so they can be anchored there so that they cannot then be removed from there so that they are solidly put together first they got to fit and then they have to be wrapped together with glue, with nails speaking of boards or mortar if you're speaking of stones Whatever, whatever you use to get them to stay together has to be secure and solid. I used to be so frustrated with my brother because he would over-nail everything. 
I mean, if a mistake was ever made, oh, whoa. The only way to get it apart was basically burn it. He loved nails. <laughs> well, that's not all bad. If you get it to fit first, <laughs> you'll never move it. Stairway in our house in Alaska, I, they could have had an earthquake that would have shaken that whole peninsula apart and the rest of the house from around it, but if you'd have been under that staircase, you would have been safe. No problem. He built it. Glue, nails, bolts, screws. It never squeaked once. <laughs> I mean, it was so tight it couldn't squeak. That's what God wants you and I to become with one another. That's what He wants of this little congregation. That is why He has put us together, is that we might learn to love one another and bind one another together is the cords of a rope so that cannot easily be broken. That is the challenge before us. Now, if you're just sitting here shaping yourself all the time, trying to get yourself to fit into a spot in the temple, you're doing all the work, aren't you? But now, if you pick up some sandpaper or a nice soft sponge or whatever it is and try to help polish and clean up the guy next to you, and you help polish ten around then those ten might help polish you. See? It becomes a community effort. And you get the benefit of ten others if you help ten. Don't think you're an island. Don't think you're out there by yourself. Maybe we can't meet together every week, all of us. As we can, great. And I really feel that it's time that we go ahead and have a phone hookup every week so that we have a live service and we feel a little more connected. And the, the physical way that we can do this now through this particular phone company that we've found uh, puts not a great deal of strain on uh, central headquarters, if you want to phrase it that way, because we pay a setup fee that is good for a month, and we can have as many conference calls as we want during that month for that set fee. Whoever calls in, however, <coughs> has to pay for the long-distance call from their place. So get the cheapest long-distance service you can find, or card, or whatever. And since it's a part of the work and the church provides a service, I have no problem with you deducting that from your tithe checks before you send them in. Or if you want to make it a contribution or an offering, you can do that too. That's entirely up to you, see. But it also solves the problem of, well, let's see, our budget is only so much. If, if we were paying centrally for all the calls, uh, boy, we only got enough money for 10 calls or 15 or 20 lines or whatever, so somebody can't get on. And that's the problem we faced in CGG because John had to make the decision, well, who gets to call in and who doesn't? And then he kind of made a rule, well, it had to be at least three there, or in a few cases with a widow or something, he would let her call in anyway. But this way, it's unlimited. Anybody, anywhere, can call in if they want to. Friends, enemies, <laughs> members, doesn't matter. It'll just cost them the price of a phone call. And you, if you want to deduct that, as I said, from your tithes or offerings, that's fine. And if you are on a very fixed income and you simply don't have that money to, <coughs> to make the phone call, um, then get in touch with me. We'll work something out. Maybe the church can just simply reimburse you for the phone call. 
But see, that's less of an administrative headache on me, too, if I don't have to handle the whole thing. You're just paying your phone bill, and you can deduct it from your ties before you send them in. Problem solved. And everybody who wants to connect can connect. And if they're enemies, they have to pay for their own phone call. (laughs) But whatever we can do to get the kind of closeness that he's talking about here in 1 Corinthians 12, and I want to hit a couple more quickly, uh, Ephesians 2. To drum this in, Ephesians 2, verse 19 Now, therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. He lumps us together here as an organization and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building, fitly framed together, grows to an holy temple to the Lord, in whom you also are built together for a habitation of God through the Spirit." He's living in us, he is forming us, and putting us fitly framed together. The frame of this building has to fit closely together. And once it is assembled, it simply cannot and will not ever be torn down again. This time, when it comes together, this time, in the next few years, months and years, it will never, ever again be torn down. Because every stone that is put in this temple is going to fit, it is going to be made to fit, and it will be framed together and solidly built in such a way that it can never, ever be destroyed. See, that's the kind of love and affection and bonding God wants between you and me and all of us fitly framed together so that we can never be moved. He's going to shake the earth again terribly one more time, he says. But that which cannot be shaken will remain. And that can be you and me. We've been given foreknowledge. We've been given foreopportunity. Here we are. We simply cannot afford to treat this lightly. Ephesians 4, uh, verse 16 from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies. Every joint compacted so closely that there's no airspace in between. There's no bumps and warts to hold them apart so that they can come and fit very smoothly together. According to the effectual working in the measure of every part, makes increase of the body to the edifying of itself in love. Every part has to work. When he tells us back in Haggai to work, when he tells us in Zephaniah not to have slack hands but to work, this is what he has us working at. Getting ourselves into what image? Into the image of Jesus Christ. He is the perfect example. And if we are like him, we will fit we will fit very closely, compacted together, every part working perfectly. Now this is the challenge that is before us. Don't fear. Be of good courage and work at it. 
via phone call, via email, via letter, via visiting, driving as you did here. I don't want us to go away from here not being closer than we were when we came here. Seize the opportunity to visit with one another, to get to know one another, to understand each other better, to understand what to pray about for each other better. Seize the opportunity. Now, I'm running out of time here. I wanted to get a little bit more into the impediments and the things that hold us back. Worldly cynicism is a good place to start. Oh, man, I've been through so many organizations. I'll kind of sit here on the back row, and I'll wait and see how this thing happens. I'll, I'll sit by the door. <laughs> I, I realize you have children, and that was the only seats back there. I, <laughs> I wasn't getting personal here. But I mean mentally and emotionally. I'll sit by the door, because when this one blows up, I want to be the first one out. Brethren... This one is not going to blow up. If you do what you're supposed to do, and I do what I'm supposed to do, we will prepare ourselves and we will be placed in the latter temple, wherever and however it comes together. It will not blow up because we will bond ourselves together and we will get rid of the iniquity that makes our love wax cold. And we will love each other with a fervent love, as Paul describes it, and we will make sure it stays hot by fanning the flames through emails and letters and phone calls and however we can contact one another and love each other and draw closer together and get to know one another and pray for one another, above all. So get rid of the cynicism. It'll keep you from becoming bonded and twisted together. Because the strand who's a little sarcastic, a little cynical, a little disbelieving, is going to stay over here and won't get entwined. Do you ever have a big glot of rope or garden hose or something that all I have to do is lay it up, is, is, is roll it up, lay it in the garage, come back in two weeks, and it's like 14 snakes. There's no... How in the world could those cords get tangled like that? With no seeming effort. Now, it's going to take a lot of effort for us to get entwined that way, see? Because we have this automatic <coughs> anti-clot, anti-glot, anti-twine mentality. We don't want to risk. We don't want to risk getting close and being hurt. We've been hurt. We've been hurt over and over. And we all got our horror stories. And we're going to get past those. And now we're going to start twining together again. Because that's what God tells us to do, is to get where we fit together. So being fear of being hurt, rejected or ignored or pulled apart again is no longer valid. Get rid of it. It's an impediment. It keeps us from fitting together. Our own innate selfishness is another impediment not being bothered with others, living my own life, not being willing to sacrifice my time, my energy, my money, my thoughts, my prayers for the sake of others. Our own innate selfishness will stop us quicker than just about anything else. Serious impediment to being twined together. 
That's why he says, be servants. Serve each other, love each other, help each other, give to each other. The willingness to judge and condemn is a serious impediment. We see somebody that doesn't totally agree with us, it's so easy to sort of brush them aside, mentally, emotionally, pigeonhole them over here. Don't want to twine in together with that one because they got some strange ideas. Hey, we all got strange ideas. Everyone here has got a strange idea of some kind. But we're all here for a reason. God called us here. Feeble? Seemingly unnecessary? See? Forget about it. Twine together. We'll work on the knots. We'll work on the problems. We'll work on the difficulties. But we've got to love each other enough that we can overcome those. Love is the greatest thing. It's also the hardest thing. We can agree to disagree on certain things without condemnation. We're family. You know, you can't pick your family, they say. Oh, man, my brothers, my sisters, my father, my mother, my aunts, my uncle. I'm stuck with them. Or they're stuck with me, however it worked. See? Well, God called us here. He's the one that put this family together. For whatever reason, God called every one of you. And He has a reason for that. Now, who am I to be an arrogant, prideful uh, individual and stand here and say, well, you know, I don't know about so-and-so. I don't know about so-and-so. I don't know about so-and-so. God called them my job to gently hurt them and help them and strengthen them and guide them and lead them and help file their warts off. He called them. It's our job to help them. Every one of us. I, I hope we're getting the picture here. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. And a lot of organizations and a lot of people are being broken today spiritually. But we have to meet the challenge, be of good courage, put away our fears, put away our insecurities, and trust. Trust. Trust God that he says he's going to put it together. Trust him that he wouldn't have called us here and given us his information if he hadn't thought we could do something with it and accomplish it. And trust each other. Trust no man. Understand that. <laughs> we have to be careful with trust, but in the right way, we have to come to trust that God is working with each and every one of us here, and if he ain't done with each one of us yet, we shouldn't be done with each other yet. We should be, above all things, full of mercy and patience and kindness and gentleness with a fervent love for one another. Mercy is one of the weightier matters of the law. We went through that in some sermons. But here's our chance to put it to practice. It is this love, it is this kind of love that is going to ensure that the world will know that we are the disciples of Christ. When they see, they cannot break our love, our bond, because it is rooted in God in heaven. 
And all the powers of the universe apart from him cannot separate that which he puts together. And once this temple comes together, he's said in Scripture, Yea, verily, yea, it will never come down again. So you want to be secure and tight in there. You want to fit. This gives us a reason to get rid of our faults and our foibles and our attitudes and so on so we can fit in there and be a part of the glory of God forever and ever. This is the kind of love we come, are to come to have. Contrast that between iniquity and love and uh, iniquity abounding in the love of many waxing cold and betraying one another to death. We're here to die for each other. We're here to die daily giving of our time, our energy, and our emotions and our prayers to each other and binding ourselves together so that we cannot be destroyed. But if we follow through, it's going to happen. And the blessings of God are going to return like we can't believe. So there you have it. Go for it. <laughs>